Alex had taken the top off of the tent and woke me up in the middle of the night to look at all the stars. And I've been a lot of places in this world, but nothing was that beautiful. And I just, this piece came to me that this is, this is what I, I, I want. Um, this is what I need medically. I'd much rather have a hysterectomy and oophorectomy at 38 than cancer at 58. Not every infertility story ends with the baby. We are the forgotten group in the infertility community. People assume that we don't have a happy or fulfilled life. And I think we do. Welcome to the Infertile Mafia. That's Kayla. And that is Sarah. The main topic will be um, an interview Sarah did with some Mafia members. They said they are not childless by choice. They are childless after a journey with infertility. Okay. And yeah, so, but they are happy with their life, so. Right. They, They did technically make the choice not to be childless but to stop fertility treatments yes they made the choice to not um pursue ivf right which i feel like not to dive into this topic right away but that this community of people is pretty um like the ones that i have come into contact with i know we both have but they they like a lot of like these little sub groups in the infertility community like a lot of them can feel very isolated and like they don't fit in anywhere um so i think that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it because there are a lot of people who find themselves in that situation where they're making the choice like do i want to keep going with fertility treatments do i want to stop how do they make that decision when do you stop right right right, um in the interview they didn't say why they uh, just they didn't want to do IVF she just said I'm not I didn't want to do IVF so that's I mean who wants to do IVF really (laughs) right (laughs) I mean yeah and they they said they didn't want to pursue adoption or anything so I'm giving away spoilers but (laughs) they (laughs) but I think it's good to listen to because they are happy and they remind me of the couple from up have you watched that movie yet no (laughs) damn it kayla i've seen the opening sequence (laughs) oh okay that's all you need to know right and it's it's perfect it's beautiful yeah i would say that they're like them like they have each other and now they they're happy with each other and that's all they need yeah and they go on adventures I like that you said, the, and I haven't heard the interview yet, so I'm anxious to hear it, but that um, one of the things you took away was that you were really impressed with Alex, that he was just honoring Katie's choice. Like, okay, she doesn't want to do this, and I'm not going to pressure her into it because I love her, and I don't want her to like, force her to do something she doesn't want to do. Which, yeah, and I feel like that's how... I think that's how partnerships should work in general. Well, of like, course. <laughs> yeah. Katie, Katie is the one who is going through all the things, like the painful and right. all the meds and endometriosis and 
she has PCOS. And so he's like, it's your body. I'm not going to push you to do anything you don't want to do. And it's, I'm supportive of your choice and I'll tell you what I want, but I want you to be happy. Right. And if you're happy, I'm happy. And we love but a feminist. He, he king. was involved. <laughs> yes, yeah. he was involved. It wasn't like he was like, oh, do what you want. I'm out of here. He right. was he was with her the whole time. He was like, supporting it. Her. Yeah. Choice. And he was yeah. like, you do the re- you're the one who's doing the research. You tell me what you figure out and what you want to do. It's your body. We're going to do what's best for you because you're my wife and I want what's best for you. That whole, like, I love you thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's not (laughs) pushing her. He's not, like, there was no blame game played. And they just, I, they were just so sweet. And talking about it makes me, like, (laughs) a little teary-eyed. Okay, so here's, the interview is going to be the palate cleanser. Because I think mm, everyone's going to be like, oh, Katie and Alex are so cute. (laughs) Like, so sweet so nice to each other I love to see it it's like a big puppy yeah I just you're like oh <laughs> you guys would make a boring movie besides like the drama with infertility because you're so sweet to each other mm. like there's no drama in between them mm. that's nice but they're they're just wholesome and cute and uh yeah the interview oh to set up this this interview, the first part I think you'll appreciate. Alex is a plumber and Katie had a plumbing issue. <laughs> but and that's how they met. Oh, so, you mean a real plumbing issue. I thought yeah, you were making no, a he, she really, joke. Like, oh, no. She actually had her house had tree roots oh, growing in her pipes. Oh, nice. So okay. Alex came to fix her plumbing issue with his probe just like the beginning of a A porno porno. yes (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's get to the interview with katie and alex i needed a new sewer line that is how we met well as my friend carrie puts it that he dealt with my shit before he dealt with my shit the year prior, I think I had worked for her neighbors, and one afternoon I, it was a multi-day project, and uh, she came home to let Murphy out, our dog. Now my head perked up out of the ditch, and oh, there's a good-looking girl, you know, uh, walking the dog. And so when she called in, she mentioned her neighbor's name, who recommended us, I think, and uh, and my first thought was, oh, I wonder if that was that good-looking girl, the neighbor next door, and sure enough, it was. I opened the door and there was this man with the most beautiful blue eyes I had ever seen and he was so good looking. And I remember texting my friend Laura and saying, I am not upset about this home project anymore. I'm really excited about it. As the job was ending, I was trying to like hide a shovel here, a rake there, you know, a probe somewhere. So so she'd have to call me and, and I'd have to come back and get it so I could ask her out. But she kept finding them and pointing at, make sure you don't forget that shovel. Make sure you don't forget that probe. <laughs> so that plan didn't work out very well. <laughs> but I ended up calling her after the job was done because I thought it would be unprofessional to ask her out while I was on the clock. 
I ended up calling her after the job was done and asking her on a date. And the rest is, well, not the rest is history because there's a lot more of the story oh, to tell, yeah, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot more, but... But yeah. then, yeah, we dated for a couple of years and, and got married. Yeah. I had wanted to wait one year. I wanted to be married for a, a year before we started to try to have children. And Alex from the get-go was always that's up to you, whatever you want, you know? So I think about 10-ish months into um, our marriage, we started trying to have kids. You know, every no one ever, ex- I, well, I shouldn't say that. There are some individuals who wonder it maybe that this is going to be, you know, infertility might be a part of their story. But it, I didn't think that it would be at all. And so it, um, it, my body started to physically do a lot of weird things. So the first couple of months, there would be times where I thought I was pregnant, but it was my cycle was just all screwed up. I was bleeding all the time. The level of it would, would kind of wax and wane. Ebb and flow, Ebb and if you flow, will. Ebb and flow, yeah. <laughs> and I can remember we were on vacation in Florida and I was like, I just, we just have to get this figured out because I just don't want to be bleeding anymore. And sharks. Yeah, like sharks, like who can't get in water. <laughs> just joking. Um, I've always had horrible cramps and I just thought those were normal. We had been trying for about a year. The In that year, around six months, actually, I should say, <clears throat> I was going to my annual anyway. And the, the advanced practice nurse that I see at my OB's office, she did normal blood work that could be affecting your ability to get pregnant, which was all normal. And she said, you know, you're kind of at that age where if you were 35 we would go ahead and start testing, but you're not. And I just happened to be turning 35 around the same time we would have been trying for one year. But in that time and being off birth control, they gave me a medication two or three times. So that was happening between the six month and and the year mark. And they said, oh, it'll be the worst period you've ever had. And I thought, this is just a Tuesday for me. This isn't the worst period I've ever had. This is normal for me. And I can remember my APN, like me telling her that eventually and her looking at me thinking that's, that's significant, Katie. (laughs) But at one year we did the HSG and they did find that I had an occluded tube. But since one tube was good they felt comfortable just starting me my ob on clomid we did three rounds of clomid and i think i only ovulated once kind of twice i don't think my levels were all that good and then at that point they wanted to send us to the reproductive endocrinologist and by that point you know we're a year and a half in and i just needed a break because of (laughs) the ups and the downs your body didn't like clomid so much right I remember just things would come out of my mouth and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was really bitchy. I didn't mean for that to come out of my mouth. So yeah, we took a break. We just took a break from doctors, I guess, more than anything. And my body was still being stupid, still being miserable. Found out in that time of that year that I had PCOS, 
and it had been said to me that I didn't look like a PCOSer, which I didn't know. I mean, I know that there are kind of telltale signs, but you know, not all of us look like that. Um, the reproductive endocrinologist from Chicago. I remember her talking at the Infertile AF conference that she suffered from it. And I wanted to take a picture of her <laughs> and send it to the people who said I didn't look like somebody who suffered from it and be like, look at her. <laughs> um, she doesn't look like she would suffer from it either. And um, we tried metformin and that didn't do anything for me either. What, but really what took us to the reproductive endocrinologist was my allergist of all people. Yeah. And again, my body is still being stupid in this time. Yeah. But the allergist, I was going to start allergy shots. And she said, you know, I see in your chart that you have a diagnosis of infertility. And she said, I also see that you're not on anything like a, a birth control. She said, I just want you to be aware that if you would become pregnant or if you would seek out treatment in this time for the infertility, you can't do allergy shots because it's not, yeah, it's, she said, it's not safe for a fetus. So I came home and I told Alex that, and I said, so we would be, you know, for a year for sure, walking away from this. And we started the conversation of basically, well, does it really hurt just to go see the RE? And um, we got the referral. We live in a very rural community. We're wedged in between three larger rural communities. And so there's one RE in the town where I work and he has a huge service area. So by the time my insurance said, yes, you could go, we had a three or four month wait to get there. Yeah. He wasn't what I expected. He has, um, he has a little bit of a reputation and I found him to be absolutely lovely. I remember you being pretty nervous the, yeah. Yeah. The, the first time we went in there, because yeah, his reputation was very short, direct yeah. to the point. He has a mission and that mission is to get you pregnant. And, and he was excellent. He was, he had wonderful bedside manner. Yeah. And he looked at my records and he said, do you have an occluded tube? And he put everything in plumbing terms. Yeah, like literal plumbing terms, and I'm married to a plumber. That's why he put it. In I know, I know. That's why yeah, he did it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because like, I think I had put we had put occupation down or something like you that. You came in your uniform. Oh, maybe that. Okay, sure. I guess so. <laughs> but yeah, he talked about yeah that you're gonna go and try and open up your fallopian tube, and he put it in terms of yeah cleaning out a sewer. Like you're, we're gonna <laughs> take a roto rooter in there and and go for it. Yes. He said, we'll call you with a surgery date. They called me, I think, the next day and said, okay, can you be here in two weeks to have surgery? You know, we, this whole waiting period, by this point, it's been four, three, three plus years. Yeah, years. The fact that he said two weeks, I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. And it was just an exploratory. Um, so he he does that and he, he can't pop open the tube. I remember he felt that... We still had one. Once I healed from that, um, about a month later, and then, and then during that month of healing, I had blood tests that determined that I had a extremely low egg count, far 
lower than it should be even at by this point 36 that essentially my ovaries and my hormones kind of were thinking that they're about 10 years older than what they are so he mentioned something about potentially considering an egg donor but what you do have is is okay they're okay-ish quality he goes I feel comfortable doing a medicated IUI but I think we need to you know keep in the back of our brains the potential of an egg donor, which is not at all what I expected him to say. And I was a mess. I was expecting him just to say, we need to do IVF right out of the gate. So when he said egg donor, I was just floored and trying to, you know, keep it together. So we went ahead and did the medicated IUIs. Um, and he said, I'm going to put you on Gonal F. So I, we did the injections. I did ultrasounds. The first run, we couldn't do an IUI. We couldn't because oh. he got he had an emergency. Yeah, he that's had to right. leave the country. It was timed intercourse. You know, I work in the medical field. Like these things happen. It's not exactly what we planned, but that's okay. I, I felt we had a better shot with the medication that you were on. Yeah. Than just continuing to try so yeah and it was a medicated dose pen but i had never given myself shots before and we have a friend who's a nurse who's also named katie and it was halloween and she i said oh i'm really sorry because i know you're getting your daughter ready to go out and trick-or-treat but can you come down here and help me and she without even thinking was like yeah and she came down and showed me how to do it did the first one for me and I was so appreciative of that. So I felt comfortable from there on out doing them myself. So the second IUI was the day after Thanksgiving. Kind of odd. We were in the clinic, usually bustling with people day after Thanksgiving. It was just dark hallways and kind of quiet, except for like the group because the he when he does those, he, he gets, gets them all timed at the same yeah, time. Yeah, everybody's timed all at the same time. So yeah, it was us and six other couples in the waiting room, you know, in 15 minute intervals or so, something mm-hmm. like that. And yeah. And we went in for the third one and it just, it felt positively different. I'm going to be a unicorn. This is a unicorn. Like I'm already thinking about like buying unicorn stuff, toys and like jammies. And if it's a like, boy, I don't really care. I'm going to put <laughs> unicorn stuff jams. And so when my period started, I was just, I had never been that deflated. And I really wanted to like literally blow up the bottle of, or the suppositories and see if we can get some pyrotechnics and (laughs) blow this thing up. But it was also in the process of like the prepping for that third IUI where I just, it hit me that, no, I don't, I don't know that I want to do this anymore. Like, I, I think this is it. I think I'm, I'm done. And I came home and talked to Alex and he has always been, you know, this is your body. You're the one that has the you're the one that has to take the shots and you're the one that has to to do all of this so i he said i want you to do what you are comfortable with 
And I said, well, yeah, but this would be our child. So um, he, and he said, no, I, I understand that, but I, you're taking the brunt of it physically. So I want you to be comfortable with the choice. And I said, uh, let's do this IUI, this third one. But I, I don't know that I want to do anymore. We had talked before we were married about children, <clears throat> adoption and IVF. We love IVF. We have so many friends and family members who've been blessed with kiddos through IVF, but we did not feel that it was for us. So we knew that we didn't want to go that route. So when this IUI didn't work, we were done. But all the while, my body was still being stupid. I would sit in my office doubled over in pain, trying to like will it to go away between seeing my own patients. I always joked with my colleagues that I was always packing because I always had tampons and pads with me because I didn't know when my cycle would start. I just was in so much pain all the time. Like I would come, Alex would come home for work and he would see me cuddling with the heating pad. And I, I, he goes, you know, can you do anything tonight? I'm like, no, I can't. You know, you, you got to do dinner. You've got to do all of it. And he would so gracefully do all of that for me. More often than not, it was dialing a phone number for pizza. But, you know. That's not true. But, man, I can, I, I've got the phone number memorized. <laughs> so when I went to my OB annual, we were talking about what we were going to do because even on birth control, because she put me back on birth control when we stopped working with our RE, and I, it didn't re, it didn't do anything. I still was completely irregular. And so I just looked at her and said, can I have a hysterectomy? And she said, I have been waiting for you to ask me that. And, you know, and, and we are, by this point, had discussed being child-free, but I still was crying. My, my paternal grandmother died of ovarian cancer and my mother had uterine cancer the day i had this discussion with my my the apn i was I, I was upset even though we had come to this decision of being you know not pursuing adoption and not pursuing um fostering kiddos um not doing ivf or not continuing our working with the RE, I, you know, it's still like we chose to shut the door, but now there wasn't even a door. Like it's gone. Like there would be, there's no going back. And I called my boss and she is amazing. And she said, you don't have to work today. Please go home. Just, she's like, don't even worry about it. We'll take care of it. And I, I did my grieving that night. And then on, it was a Monday, and then on Friday, we went to Colorado. We went, the, one of our first nights in Colorado, we went camping by the National Sand Dunes. Sand Dunes. Great Sand Dunes National yeah. Park. And Alex had taken the top, of, off, top off of the tent and woke me up in the middle of the night to look at all the stars. And I've been a lot of places in this world, but nothing was that beautiful. And we got up early and drank coffee and watched the sun come over a mountain ridge. And I just, 
this piece came to me that this is, you know, this is what I, I, I want. Um, this is what I need medically. And um, I'd much rather have a hysterectomy and oophorectomy at 38 than cancer at 58. And I just was at peace. For me, this, you know, infertility has just, I mean, we, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, the feelings and the emotions that you go through is so individual, but it has actually brought me physically pain to be pain-free. I, I didn't know how much pain daily I was in until I had my hysterectomy. We had kind of, before that, we had decided that we were done with the, with the quest for kids. Um, that sounds like, that sounds like Bible school <laughs> quest for kids. Anyway. Um, so yeah, we were kind of done with that. So at that point, like Katie was saying, it's, it's a little bit of a, a you know, a, a kind of a tough time to wrap your head around. We're, we're not trying by choice versus we can't try anymore. You know, no, no point. I don't um, have the equipment. Yeah, no, don't have the proper equipment, the tools to do the job. So that was a little bit of a, you know, a little hard thing to wrap my mind around, but nothing compared to what I'm sure Katie was feeling. And, you know, and I've always, like she touched on earlier, it's my theory throughout this whole thing. I mean, going all the way back isn't, not to say it like this, but your body, your choice. Um, so, you know, it, whatever i'm i'm sort of just along for the ride basically you always had you had opinions but you always aired with i realized that you were the one that has to go through more yeah yeah and like say yeah, i'm just happy we're pain free now i like to think of myself anyway as an eternally positive person you for are. the most part yeah and so you know when whenever we you know, whatever, take a pregnancy test and negative and, and just throughout the whole thing, every, every time, you know, it would affect Katie pretty negatively, pretty harshly. That's putting it nicely. Um, for several days at a time. And even being the eternally positive person I like to think I am, it started to weigh on me too. And it wasn't so much the, the negative pregnancy test didn't weigh on me as much as <laughs> don't get offended, but being around you when you're, I when know, you were, know. you know, in, in such a low that like, I just, at some point you, <laughs> you drug me down with you, know you know, like know just, Oh, all right. But it's because you're a fixer. And I remember you saying you wanted me, you wanted to make me feel better. And you felt kind of helpless that you couldn't. And, but, and I know what you're saying, but I, I loved you. I mean, I love you anyway, but I loved you so much more because you like, I just, what can I do to make you feel better? And the fact that you were thinking about me. Nothing. The answer was nothing, by the way. I know. <laughs> I'm like, you're doing it. You're hugging me. You're holding me. You're doing it. You're doing it. Now that it's over, you know, we don't have to go through that anymore. There's still days, there's still instances mm -hmm. where it, it'll hit at random times. I know it's difficult for you to like be around young kids sometimes. Sometimes, um, yeah. 
but for me, it always seems to come in the form of like Hollywood shit. Like dad out in the yard playing catch with his son. Like, oh shit. Well, all right. Not going to be able to do that. Not every infertility story ends with a baby. You just assume when you start working with an RE or that your story is going to end in a baby. And I, I remember I've met women who are child free after infertility and you're like, Oh, that's not going to be me. And you don't want to know that they're there. I feel like we are the forgotten group in the infertility community and that people assume that we don't have a happy or fulfilled life. And I think we do. Um, and I don't like the world, the word childless because goodness knows we are not childless. We've got 13 nieces and nephews. My best friend, Heather has two daughters, Hannah and Haley, who um, I refer to as my nieces. So now we have 15. We have children in our lives. So I, I just want to give a voice to the community of men and women who are creating a story after infertility that doesn't include a child. My reasoning for being on here was... Your I, wife made you? Well, no. No, because actually, remember, you, you asked me at first and then it was just going to be you. And I was like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. And then I, then I was invited back on. But and I guess I didn't have a clear message to say. And I don't know how much of your demographic is men um, listening. But you, you, you think you're, for, you're the forgotten group, right? Yeah. And so sometimes I felt like the men in the infertility world are the forgotten group as well. Again, the childless by choice is not how I look at it. Um, but whatever situation you're in, I don't know. Silver linings is what I kept mm -hmm. saying the other night. You know, you have to look for silver linings in everything. Every every rain cloud or every dark cloud has its silver linings. And just like the other night, we decided that we were just going to go to Utah. Yeah. Just kind of on a whim. Um, and we can do that. And we can do that. Um, I was I was around my cousins the other night and they were talking about their kids and just go, go, go. And they never have any time for rest or anything. Well, you know what I get to do when I come home from work, sit and relax. You got to find the little, the little things that, you know, make life good. Um, and yeah, I just sort of my mantra is silver linings. I recognize how different our life is because we don't have children. So I was saying the other day to a couple of colleagues that I had gone to bed at eight o'clock because I just was exhausted. And I looked at them and immediately said, but I don't have kids. So I realized and recognize that that's far different for, for, for parents. That, and I don't mean to keep throwing cliches out here, but like, you know, we're stronger. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right. Yeah. You know, we're stronger because of this struggle and we came out on the other side. You know, a lot of, I mean, there are couples who obviously this, you know, this being infertility can just so negatively impact their relationship and, you know, can lead to uncoupling. And again, I'm, as a social worker, you know, we would talk. There would be times I wouldn't want to, but we finally would. And so 
talk about what our plans are and what we want and yeah mm -hmm. yeah like I say yeah we've 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 come out better on the uh, a better with a better relationship on the other end of this whole thing for sure for me that's when things kind of took like turned around was was getting like discovering the infertility community i've always had a positive experience with the community like i have like i found my people these are my people <laughs> um because I, I i struggled to talk to people who, who were you know who had kids like they just they, you know they would say well i get it i you know it was hard for us to conceive i'm like it took you three months that is totally normal get away <laughs> and and um i have to say this so like alex's family is is amazing they are so so sweet i was i was blessed with an amazing family and i've married into an equally amazing family but they are so stinking fertile oh my gosh <laughs> yeah they are and um they no one was judgy no one was pushy they were phenomenal and if I said, okay, I got to take, take a step back. They all were like, we don't get it, but we get it. Like you do what you got to do. Um, it didn't make it any easier at times, but it was easier in the fact that they were so respectful. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought we made an awesome, a good step forward at Easter. Yeah. This year. I mean, the whole family got together and that's all that's been hard for Katie for the past few years for <laughs> all the kids and stuff like that. But I don't know. I, you said you did pretty well with it. Yeah. Cause it's, it, it, with Alex and I have talked about this, that like, if it's just one sibling and their kids, I'm fine. If it's two siblings and their kids, I'm fine. When you get all of the siblings and all the kids together, it's just something about that dynamic that can be very difficult for me. And this year it was great. And I'm fully embracing the fact that I am the child-free aunt. And, oh, you want a cookie? Sure. I'll give you a cookie. <laughs> You're not going to be sugared up with me later. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, and one thing that I struggled with is sometimes is, I remember, it hit me one day. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to put a kid through college. And I thought, well, that's pretty elitist, Katie. You don't even know if you had a child, they may want to go into the military or they may want to follow in Alex's footsteps. They may not even want to go to college. And my niece is going to go to the U of I this year. My niece being my best friend's daughter, Hannah. And Alex and I have kind of thought about, like, how can we help her? Books. Books. If they do books. I don't know if they do books in college anymore. Because <laughs> that, that same... My friend Heather, one year, she's a single mom, and I sent her a text message and said, Happy Mother's Day. And she sent, she said, Well, Happy Mother's Day to you too. I'm like, uh, Heather? She said, Oh, please, Katie. She goes, You know, and I know that you're just as much of a mother to these two girls as I am. And it was during our struggles, and I lost it. having us yeah. i would say the best way to get in contact with me is through instagram and it is m k a t i e s one and katie s one 
um, is my username. Uh, I'm not a real social media type of guy. But if you want to get a hold of Alex, you can always message me. And if yeah. you have any information on mountain biking, Alex would love to know it. Sure. Thank you, Katie and Alex, for sharing your time and your story with us. That was great.